listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. I love to worship with you. In fact, I uh, have a pastor friend in Sherman. We uh, most Sunday mornings we text one another. Um, and this morning he sent a really simple yet profound text message. Just one simple sentence. It said, what a privilege it is to preach the Word of God. I don't think there's any way that I could put into words... Um, the significance of that sentence, um, the gravity of it, uh, uh, the responsibility of it. Certainly, it is a privilege. Uh, just uh, most of you know my story. Um, I think the thing that scared me the most when, as a teenager, I knew in my heart that God was calling to me to ministry was the sheer responsibility of it. It's not like I get up here every week and we just talk about Moby Dick or something, right? Like, I'm opening the Word of God with you. That's an incredible responsibility and privilege. Um, and I want you to know that I don't take that lightly. Um, in fact, uh, it, it's pretty amazing to me that some of you would actually come back week after week after week for us to, to look at God's Word together. There are so many incredible Bible teachers out there, and now you're just inundated with content and all of these sorts of things. And, and, and we would say, uh, honestly, we would say that, look, they're, um, they're, they're just some... Uh, uh, you know, they're, right now, especially in this time of COVID and so forth, um, there's a lot of people just kind of producing content. And we don't want to just be a church that's producing content so that people can consume more content. And we're thankful for the technology and those things that allow us to uh, do live stream and to worship together online. Uh, but we also believe that it is critically important that we gather together here uh, as uh, we have this morning. And so uh, thank you for being here this morning. It looks like He's going to be okay, all right? So we can know that. He's getting the attention he needs there, and uh, we're grateful for that. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1, this morning. John, chapter 1, uh, we're going to look together at verses 1 through 14 once again, as uh, in our Christmas series, Among Us, uh, we are looking at John's prologue to his gospel. Uh, and the, the title of the series, Among Us, comes from the 14th verse of this first chapter, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Quite literally, it means He tabernacled among us. He took up residence among us. Uh, one preacher said it this way, He moved into the neighborhood. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now you remember if you were here last week that we Began looking at John's prologue here, and the key picture that we see in the first couple of verses is that Jesus is the Word, the Logos. God is talking to the world, communicating with the world in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. God's Word tells us in the past, at different times and in different ways, God spoke to us by 
the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken by His Son. Jesus is the Word. Last week we saw that He is the divine Word. Fully God, fully man. He is the creative Word. He is the illuminating Word. And so today we're going to continue by looking at these first 14 verses of John's Gospel. I hope that you will follow along with me this morning as I read, picking it up in verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We just sang about that. I'm a child of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There are four things that I want us to look at this morning as we consider our text once again. I first want us to notice the light. The light. One of the things that we uh, most often associate with this season, with Christmas, is, is, is lights. Uh, and some would say, well, I, I look at the light as just a, you know, a simple way to bring holiday cheer and that kind of thing. But for those of us who are followers of Christ, who uh, have a, an understanding of the Word of God, the light should be a reminder to us that Jesus Christ came into the darkness of this world to be the light. In fact, he said of himself in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. So John, he references that here. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in verse 4, John says that Jesus was life. The source and the origin of life. Life resides in him as the fountain from and for which all other life proceeds. As Jesus would later put it in John's gospel here, chapter 5, verse number 26, he said, As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. The Son has life in Himself, from Himself. He is the uncreated, unoriginated, divine God in the flesh. We looked at that last week. Jesus Christ really and truly has no beginning. So if you're here this morning thinking, well, Jesus began at Christmas. No, that's really not true. Jesus became flesh at Christmas. But He has always been. And always will be. He is eternal God. He is uncreated. Has no actual birth date when you really want to get right down to it. And so the life that He gives is what we so badly need for ourselves. He in Him was life and the life was the light of men. Now some of you have a a green thumb. 
plants actually live and grow uh, and, and maybe even thrive under your care and attention. There are others of us here in the room this morning going, well, that is not me. Okay, I can kill them better than anybody. Um, and those of you who do have a green thumb, you seem to know uh, just the, the, the right amount of water, the right amount of fertilizer, the right amount of light that is necessary for particular plants to thrive. And one of the things that you know, obviously, is that all of those things are necessary, particularly the light. My daughter is right now in the midst of a little science experiment where she's got a bean in a clear plastic cup, and then you know she's got this wet paper towel packed in there around it, and we're watching this thing literally uh, germinate, come to life. And one of the things that's most important is for it to get light. Uh, and so in the same way, even more importantly, we need light. Uh, we need divine light for supernatural life. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. If we are to ever have life, real, eternal, abundant life, found only in Jesus Christ, John tells us that we need His light to shine on us, because as he further develops this picture in verse number 5, it tells us that we are in darkness. We're in darkness. The light shines in the darkness. One of the most profound pictures of lostness, a person who is without Jesus Christ, is that we're walking in darkness, spiritual darkness. And some of us would say, well, I mean, you don't have to watch the news very long today to know that we're living in a very dark world. We're living in a very broken, sinful world, and there's just darkness. It seems like and the world's becoming more dark all the time. And while it may seem that way, and there may be certain things that we see that would lead us to believe that that's true, really the world has been in abject darkness since Genesis chapter 3. Spiritual darkness. That's our condition. Apart from Jesus Christ, by nature, we are in darkness. So total that it cuts us off from the light of life. Ours is the darkness of spiritual death. And so the good news is that Jesus' mission was to penetrate the darkness with life-giving light. That's why he was born. That's why he came. That's why he described himself as the light of the world. That's the reason for the angelic announcement and the shepherd's worship and the wise men's visit later. In Jesus Christ, the light had finally begun to shine into the darkness. Think about the hostility of darkness and the triumph of the light of Christ. And again, I know a lot of people are ready to throw up their hands, ready to say, man, this is just a losing battle. Things just seem to be getting worse and worse. But what we can know as we come to understand Scripture better is that this is a light that cannot be extinguished, that cannot be put out. I know some of us have some pretty vivid memories of uh, this past February when uh, the power grid uh, suffered a, a significant failure here in the great state of Texas. I'm noticing that a lot more of my neighbors seem to have big stacks of firewood this year going into, into the winter, okay? Uh, that's when because the lights went out, quite literally. Um, the power went out, and, and some of us, uh, you know, suffered a bit because of that. Uh, my sister, who lives in Ohio, she probably, you know, thinks it's funny when she looks at some of the things that we feel like we're suffering with here in the great state of Texas, but... The truth is, the lights were out, right? The power was out. We had no heat, many of us. And so it was, a, it was a difficult time. Well, this is a light that can't be extinguished. 
Okay, you may think it's being extinguished. You may think because of the evil in our world today that, that, that it's the undoing of Jesus or that the, that, that the light is just barely flickering, but that's certainly not the case. Notice how the darkness is characterized in our text. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Have you ever experienced a darkness that is so dark that you can feel it? I've been told about this, but I'd never experienced it until the first time I got to the privilege of going to the Carlsbad Caverns. I remember going down into one of the big main sections there of Carlsbad Caverns, and they turned off the lights. What little bit of light there was down in that cavern, when they turned those lights off, I, for the first time in my life, remember experiencing a darkness so dark that you could feel it. It was as if it was closing in on me, and it made, most of us would say, it made us feel uncomfortable. And so then they turned the light back on, and there's like this sense of relief. John is telling us that our problem is not primarily intellectual. It's not that we are ignorant. You know, many times when we use the phrase, I was in the dark about that, we mean that, well, I I just wasn't in the know. I didn't have all the details. I lacked some information. And so I was in the dark. I wasn't in the loop or, or however we might say it. That's not what John is talking about here. John, John doesn't mean here that we, are, we need some more information. He doesn't mean, mean that we need more data. If we could just understand more facts about Jesus, then everything would be okay. No, this darkness is not something that's to be dispelled with simply more information. That's one of the reasons on a regular basis here at First Baptist, we say we don't want to gather here around God's Word just so that we can be better informed. I don't want you to leave here every week thinking, well, that was some good information. I want us to be transformed by the power of the gospel and the power of the word of God. Now, certainly we gain more information. You gain a better knowledge of God through his word. But that's not fundamentally the reason. There are a lot of people who've been sitting in churches just like this one most of their life who've just gained more information. They've become like this big sponge and they've just soaked this stuff up. But they've never really considered the fact that it can transform your life. This is life-transforming power. This is the the light that John is speaking about here. This is a darkness that is not characterized primarily by ignorance, but by hostility. Now, you may have a different version there this morning than the ESV that I'm reading from this morning and teaching from this morning. Uh, Yours may actually translate the same same Greek word in the original language here just a little bit differently. I think uh, that John probably intends for this to have kind of a double meaning Uh, It says, you know, uh, when when we look at the text here, but I think there's a parallel verse in John chapter 12, verse 35, that kind of settles the issue in my mind, at least. And if you listen to the similarity of the language, I think you'll kind of see the same thing. This time it is from the lips of Jesus himself. Speaking about himself, Jesus said, the light is among you. There's that language again, among us. The light is among you for a little while longer. While you have the light... Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. I think that's, that's the connection point here between uh, what we see here in verse number 5. The, the, the darkness has not overcome it. That's the same word that John uses in verse number 5 here. That's what the darkness is trying to do. It's trying to overcome the light, to consume the light, to control and dominate and obliterate the light. John's point about our darkness is not that we are ignorant. It's that we are opposed. 
It's a strange thought for some people who think of themselves as being basically good people. But the simple truth is this, based on the authority of the Word of God, if you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, you are at odds with God. You are at enmity with God, Scripture says. And the only way that you, as a simple human being, the only way that I, as a simple human being, can be reconciled to holy God is through the light that is Jesus Christ through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. James chapter 4, it says it this way, friendship with the world is enmity against God. That's John's point. We are hostile apart from Christ. We are in darkness, antithetical to the light. And really understood against that backdrop, the message of the coming of the baby in Bethlehem is momentous news. It's hard to read verse number 9 here in John chapter 1, for example, without excitement and wonder. Verse number 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He's coming, unstoppable light, the light that the darkness of sin cannot extinguish. Cannot overcome, omnipotent, life-giving light, born of the virgin, adored by the angels, hunted by Herod, baptized by John, who would one day stand in the temple and say of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There are no sinkholes of moral failure in your heart so impenetrable that the light of Jesus Christ cannot triumph precisely there. The light overcomes the darkness. So come in faith into the light of Jesus Christ. John talks about the light. I want you to notice, secondly, this morning that John speaks of the witness. The witness. A few years ago, Nike ran this ad campaign. I think there was a huge uh, mural on the side of a building in Cleveland, Ohio at that time. LeBron James played for the Cavs. And, I mean, it's this big image, and it says, We are all witnesses. You know, making a reference, I guess, to the fact that we're all witnesses to the greatness that is LeBron James. Well, so let me just go ahead and settle that argument for some of you guys. MJ is the goat, okay? MJ. I'm just going to, that's all I'm going to say about that, all right? But here's the thing. John talks about this witness here in verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. We know him as John the Baptist, JTB. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So what was John the Baptist's job? We know him as the forerunner of Christ. He's the one who, he had kind of a weird diet, weird, uh, you know, weird wardrobe and all those things, ate locusts and wild honey, kind of a, you know, some would say maybe a little eccentric and those kind of things. He came primarily, Scripture says, to be a witness. It was just John the Baptist who said of Jesus early in his earthly ministry, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So his whole job was to point to Jesus as the true light. And if you trace the language of witness throughout the New Testament, you will see two interesting facts. First, the language of witness is used most often in John's writings. John loves the language of bearing witness. And the second thing that you will see, if you trace it out carefully throughout the New Testament, is that those who bear witness to Jesus are invariably the agents of supernatural revelation. 
credible in their witness. Their witness is the witness of inspired revelation. It is the Word of God. For example, in John chapter 5, verses 30 through 47, about those 20 or so verses, nearly 20 verses, Jesus links John the Baptist's role as a witness with the witness of three others. He uses that language a lot there. In addition to John's witness to Christ, Jesus says that the works that he performs are also a witness. His own works bear witness. Then he says, God the Father bears witness, according to John 5, 37. And then thirdly, he says, the Old Testament scriptures bear witness, according to John 5, 39. So Jesus, it's as if he's coordinating the witness of John the Baptist with three other uh, revelatory witnesses. The witness of Christ's miracles, the witness of God the Father, and the witness of the Old Testament scriptures. That's why we cannot unhook, unhitch the Old Testament from the New. Don't you ever think for a moment that there's no Jesus in the Old Testament. He is throughout the Old Testament. From the earliest pages of Scripture, in the Proto-Evangelium, the first mention of the Gospel, talking about the seed of the woman who had crushed the serpent's head, that's Jesus. And we see Jesus throughout Scripture. There's this, this ribbon of redemption that runs throughout the Scriptures, all bearing witness to the Christ, to Jesus, the witness. John's witness is supernatural revelation. I don't know about you, but um, only one time in my life have I ever uh, been uh, called to be a witness in a court of law. It was in a child custody case for a student that I had in one of my classes at the time, and um, so I was called in, and one of the things that was made clear to me is that the court had no interest in hearing anything about which I did not have firsthand knowledge. Okay, they didn't want me to get up on the witness stand and talk about secondhand knowledge. Well, I've heard this, or I've heard that. They don't want any of that. That's not considered credible testimony, a credible witness. They wanted to know what I personally had experienced or what I personally had seen or what I had personally heard as it related to this particular case. That's all they were interested in. They didn't necessarily want to know what I thought. They didn't want my opinion on anything. They simply wanted me to give witness to what I knew to be true. Well, here's the thing. As we continue to study Scripture and we continue to follow this, this idea of being a witness if you continue to even move on from the Gospels and consider the book of Acts and beyond, the same can be said of the witness of the apostles. And then later into where we are today. In fact, in Acts 1.8, it says, You will be what? My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that commission still binds the whole church in every age. But we cannot truly be a credible witness of something that we ourselves have not experienced. Well, you may be able to share a few things of what you know about Jesus. Well, I've read this and I've read that and that's great. But are you truly a credible witness yourself? In my personal Bible reading, I've been doing a chronological reading of Scripture this year and I've come to the end of Acts. This morning I was reading Paul's uh, testimony there. And Paul's testimony is amazing. It's an amazing testimony. And he would say it this way. He was like, here I am. I'm walking along in absolute spiritual darkness. I'm a religious guy. 
persecuting the people of the way, the early Christians dragging them off. I was there when the first martyr's life was taken. I was holding their cloaks. And then one day on the road to Damascus, I had this incredible encounter with the light, <laughs> with Jesus. And, and, and even momentarily, briefly, he was physically blinded. But then his physical sight was restored as his spiritual eyes were opened. And he came to understand who Jesus Christ really is. The light. The light that dispels the spiritual darkness of this world. And he became an incredible witness. And God used him in profound ways to write much of Scripture. Do you have a testimony like that? You say, my testimony isn't anything like that of the Apostle Paul. Well, if there was ever a time when you were walking in spiritual darkness like I was as an eight-year-old boy in Garland, Texas in November of 1974, but you came to understand through the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit that even in your self-righteousness, even as good as you may have thought you were, that you were actually spiritually blind. So what happens? You're transformed by the power of the gospel. The light that is Jesus Christ dispels the darkness. And you come to know Jesus Christ. Actually, my testimony that for many years I thought was kind of boring is actually just as amazing as that of the Apostle Paul. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. By the grace of God, the witness. Can you give witness to the light? Because you yourself have experienced it. You can say, there was a time when I was walking in abject darkness, spiritual darkness. But I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the light. And the light dispels the darkness. Witness to that. I want you to notice thirdly this morning, the world. The world. As we look at verses 9 through 11... Notice what it says. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. One commentator said of those few verses that there's something terrifically monstrous about these verses. Terrifically monstrous. We ought to feel as we read them that there should be an exclamation point at their end. How, how can it be? How can it be? He made the world, every creature, every heart that beats, every one of us that draws breath. We are the work of his hands. And when he came among us, when he moved into the neighborhood, when he tabernacled among us, what kind of reception did he get? The lost world didn't exactly roll up with the welcome wagon, right? No, it didn't work quite that way. In many ways, we could say we closed our eyes on the light of the world. We turned our backs on the light of the world. Here's the measure of the darkness into which Christ was born that first Christmas. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 28. We did not see fit to acknowledge God, and so God gave us up to a debased mind. When the light of the world shone on us, we closed our eyes and looked away. What are you doing with the light that has come? I want us to finally see this morning the family. 
the family. When you look at verses 12 and 13, but to all who received him, in contrast to those who rejected him, even his own people, but to all who received him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so if verses 9 through 11 show the response of the world and how distressing that should be, verse 12 should then be profoundly mysterious. How is it, given the utter darkness of the human heart, the darkness of spiritual death that closed its eyes on the light of the world, how is it that in a world of utter darkness should, should any who believe and receive Jesus Christ receive the light? That's a great mystery, given the depravity and the darkness of the human heart. Verse number 12 is one of the deepest mysteries in Scripture. How do dead people, spiritually dead people, how do they come to life? It's, it's this text right here that causes us regularly to say here, Jesus did not come to this earth to make good people better because he wants to be a part of your portfolio or a part of your religious experience. You know, Jesus Christ came to make spiritually dead people alive to make dead people alive, and to bring us into his family. They received him, believed in his name, and obtained the right to adoption into his family. They were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It's not the fruit of ancestral inheritance. You ever have one of those gospel conversations, and you ask somebody about their spiritual journey, and they say something like, well, I've just always been a Christian. I was born into a Christian family. I understand what they typically mean when they say that. But, but there's not a single person in this world who is literally born as a Christian. And so while many of us can be super thankful for our spiritual heritage and that we were born into a family that has embraced the gospel and, 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 and there's a spiritual upbringing and well, we've got balloons and everything this morning. This is incredible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's all. That, that thing's just going to float around right there for a while. That's not distracting at all. Um, this is a spiritual life that should be celebrated, even with balloons. Thank you, Alicia, for extinguishing that. Um, ha have you turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know this morning that you've been made spiritually alive by the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ? I hope and pray that you can say that, that you can say and you can sing truthfully, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Not, not, not because of the, the flesh, not because of my ancestry. Oh, my dad was a deacon in the Baptist church. That's, that's great. That's great. But that's not what John's talking about here. John's talking about those who've turned from their sin to faith in Jesus Christ. And them coming out of spiritual darkness into the light that is Jesus Christ. You see, salvation is found in the Christ of Christmas. Now, let me just simply say this morning, if you do not yourself know Jesus Christ, that is your most pressing, desperate need in this life. You must be born again. Jesus said those words to a religious leader in his day. A person who by the world's standards, people would go, if anybody's got it together, if anybody's going to spend eternity with God, it's going to be this guy. I mean, he's a religious leader. 
But Jesus said to him, you must be born again. You must come from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. Come into the family. Do you have a new birth? You ever been in a restaurant? Uh, maybe you've been celebrating someone's birthday with your family or something. You're in a restaurant and you decide that even in the restaurant you're going to sing happy birthday. And you look around and there are other people in the restaurant who are, have joined in there singing with you, right? They, they don't know the person that you're celebrating. Or maybe you've started just spontaneously singing happy birthday to someone over at another table. You don't know the person whose birthday is being celebrated. I got a feeling that there are a lot of people like that at Christmas every year. There's like this amazing celebration of the birth of Jesus. And there's people who are, who are trying to, to be a part of the, the celebration. And, and they're, they're doing parts of it. And, and, and they have their family traditions and all those things. And they'll give and receive gifts and all the things that are associated with Christmas and all that. But all the while, they don't really know the one whom we celebrate. They don't know Jesus. How sad would it be to experience all the festivities of this season? to experience all the, the decorations and the lights and all the things that make this season so beautiful, to gather with friends and family and enjoy the good food associated with this season, all of those things. And yet all the while, you don't really yourself know Jesus, the one whom we celebrate. I guess I'm a sucker for cheesy Christmas movies as much as anybody seems like the older I get, the more I realize they all have a common theme in many respects, somebody saves Christmas from the brink of disaster, preserving it uh, secure for children worldwide, right? Of course, that absolutely inverts the true message of Christmas. It's not that we save Christmas or we could save Christmas. No, it's that Christmas saves us. The Christ of Christmas saves us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. He came to be your rescuer, my rescuer, to give you second birth. He is the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in Him shall not perish. You will live forever with Him in glory. He is the light who can chase away the spiritual darkness of this world, who can penetrate the deepest darkness. He is the one, the only one, who can make you new. He's the one that you and I need this Christmas. So my prayer for you this morning is that Christ may break in with life-giving power to dispel the darkness and give you the light of life. If we could for just a moment bow our heads and close our eyes. I want you to understand clearly this morning that while we may not offer what some of you know as a traditional altar call, there is always an invitation. And that invitation is to come to Jesus in faith. It's not based upon a particular set of words that you put together or maybe even memorized. It is fundamentally acknowledging that you are a sinner who can't save yourself. And your only hope is found in Jesus Christ. 
Apart from that relationship, you are walking in spiritual darkness. You are not yet a part of the family of God. You may be a member of First Baptist Church Van Alstine. In fact, you may have been a member here for years. But if you have never truly turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, I have to tell you because I love you and I believe the Word of God, that you are not yet a part of the family of God. And I want you to know that. I want you to experience that. My hope and prayer is that each person in the room this morning, everyone watching online, that you can give testimony to the light to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you can give a credible witness to what Jesus Christ has done in your life. I hope and pray that that is you today. So my firm belief every week as we gather here is that every one of us, the pastor included, makes a decision what we're going to do with what we've heard today. Are we going to write it off as another sermon? Walk out of the room today, turn off the live stream, thinking, well, it's another sermon. Did my thing. Or will you do what James encourages us to do? To be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that we can celebrate the true light that is Jesus Christ. But it's pretty obvious that we live in a very dark, sinful, broken world where fractured relationships and broken families are common, where the flesh and all of its desires can be seen. It seems at every turn, something we battle every day. But I thank you on the authority of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit, we can be made new. That those who are spiritually dead can be made alive by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, if that's our testimony, if that's our story today, I pray that we would be credible witnesses to the grace of God. Because we personally have known it, experienced it, and are striving in every way to live it each day. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.